Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where people say we monkey around. Come on now. We're too busy streaming to put anybody down. I don't know where that came from. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you profitably scale and exit, creating profitable growth, premium valuation, and shift from being an engaged business operator to an empowered strategic owner. I guess I got monkeys on the brain, you know. Many of you know I live in the Dallas area, and there's been an ongoing news cycle, stories about animals escaping, and several from the Dallas Zoo. So one of those things, you know, it happens once, and you think, okay, that's weird. And then it happens again. And a clouded leopard escaped. A vulture dies mysteriously. And then some monkeys go missing. And you're like, what is going on here? Are you kidding me? And typical of news outlets, then every animal story gets big coverage. You know, there's a coyote in Central Park, which I'm sure that affects all of us around the country. And I mean, we have coyotes in our neighborhood. I don't know that it's that big a deal, but maybe it is in Central Park. I don't know. Or there's a tiger loose in Houston, national news. Really important if you live anywhere besides, you know, that neighborhood in Houston. Or 12 monkeys escape from a zoo in Louisiana. That's kind of funny. I mean, anything for ratings. You know, all these different animal stories. And at the same time, I think if you own a zoo, you know, you hear all these stories and you have to start thinking about your own security. You know, are, are my animals safe? And so this is going on and Dallas police then put up some of their own cameras at the zoo. So the zoo has surveillance, but they put in some of their own cameras. And then these two monkeys go missing. And police pretty quickly figure out what's up. It turns out there's a guy who is cutting cages and taking animals out of enclosures. Uh, he was doing it to, to pet them, to take them home. You know, the things that we all want to do with cute animals, but have enough sense to look, but not touch. And I have no idea how he got them out of the zoo. I mean, where in exactly do you hide a monkey so you don't look suspicious? I, I don't know. Then he hops on a train to go home. Did nobody on the train think that it was kind of odd that this guy is getting on the train with monkeys? I mean, is that not worth a phone call or maybe, you know, social media video? Yeah, I've had a number of conversations with SaaS founders and CEOs lately about securing their applications. And we all read headlines about breaches. I mean, even Slack had code stolen. LastPass, again, are you kidding me? Corporate Vault was stolen from an employee's computer. But the thing is, none of us are immune. And even when we think we're secure, are we really? Who or what is the weakest link? Are there simple vulnerabilities that you should pay attention to now? You know, like paying attention to a guy with some $10 wire cutters. You know, fortunately for the Dallas Zoo, they did get their monkeys back. And, and it has a happy ending, that the story, at least for the monkeys, and not necessarily for the guy. But unfortunately for us SaaS leaders, that wouldn't help us. I mean, when data is stolen, it's game over. And it only takes once to kill your dream and all that equity tied up into it. So protect your monkeys. Train your team. Fix the simple things. Do scans. Do third-party audits. You know, it makes me sleep better knowing that our systems are, are regularly run through the ringer, audited, certified multiple frameworks. But it wasn't always that way. 
in my current SaaS company, this is a number of years ago, my chief architect, senior DBA called me and was like, hey, is this yours? Now, that's a question that you never want to hear from anyone responsible for your network. Now, one of our trusted DevOps people had set up a movie streaming server. How about that? And so he's asking me, you know, hey, is is this your copy of Lord of the Rings? And uh, so, you know, we had to get rid of that and the person as well. At my previous SaaS company, I thought our team was working late all the time. And, and what happened is they're actually setting up a, set up a world, world of Warcraft server network. And we're playing on the company network and servers because we had super fast internet speed. And hey, nobody is really using it at night. So I'm not uh, immune to vulnerabilities at all. But we do a lot of things and have definitely made some changes over the years. Uh, with our audits and things like that. Uh, but, you know, I don't think that for a minute, you know, we can take security uh, for granted or assume that even when we have audits, that uh, we're still safe because crazy things happen. People get in there and monkey around with systems. So it's a lot to think about, especially now with work from home, remote employment world. Security will continue to be a big, big topic in 2023 and beyond. And I think become even more important if you hold consumer data Uh, If you have payment data, which you shouldn't be storing at all, and especially as you continue to move up market, if you move from SMB to enterprise, things are definitely going to get, you know, heat's going to be turned up on security. So I think that the takeaway is protect your monkeys and don't let anybody monkey around with your system. Every time you hear from security now on, you hear the word security, just think protect my monkeys. And you'll never forget now and hopefully smile every time somebody says securities. Protect your monkeys. Well, our sponsor today is Champion Leadership Group. Get free growth tools and map out a plan to scale your business from seven to eight to nine figures. Travel with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey using a proven methodology that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported. Celebrate wins and quickly rebound from setbacks. Learn to do the right thing at the right time and achieve profitable growth, impact, and the freedom that most of us became entrepreneurs for in the first place. Unleash rapid growth for your SaaS at championleadership.com. Our expert last week was Christopher Nelson, tech exec through two IPOs, investor and author of From No Dough to IPO. Christopher gave us great insights on employees working for equity and how we as founders can structure win-win deals to attract and motivate top talent. It's a very, very cool episode. Definitely give that a listen if you missed it. And our founder last week was Ibrahim Assam, founder and CEO of eCourtDate, the multilingual communications platform for justice. Ibrahim saw a need and created a solution to serve tens of thousands, drive efficiency, and make the world a better place all at the same time. If you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest this week is Nathan Latka, founder of FounderPath. A lot of you know FounderPath. A lot of you may know Nathan. And that is the place where bootstrap founders get capital. You know, in the last 12 months, FounderPath has provided over $100 million in non-dilutive capital to 175 SaaS founders. And that is amazing. And if you don't know, non-dilutive means that founders don't give up equity in their companies like they would if they're working with private equity or vulture capital firms. And yes, I said that right, vulture capital. Welcome a champion of the people and bootstrap founders everywhere, Nathan Latka. 
Hey, Nathan, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Jeff, thanks for having me. Excited to jump in with your crew today. Well, tell me a little bit about your background and the, the SaaS startups that you've had that led up to what you're doing now with FounderPath. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I'm a lot like your, your last couple of guests, whether it was Becca K at Dingus or, or uh, Marson and what he's built, you know, we're all builders, right? And so I knew I was a builder in college. I studied architecture. But Jeff, I quickly realized I love money and architects are broke. So <laughs> <laughs> I said, let me go start flipping burgers at West End Grill at Virginia Tech, very cold winters. And then I said, I hate labor like this, but I yeah. don't want to be an architect anymore. And so I started building custom Facebook fan pages for folks. And I realized the power of a pixel in terms of recurring revenue. And after that, launched a firm called Heyo.com, H-E-Y-O, which I bootstrapped to some revenue raised from a VC. And that's how I cut my teeth early on back when I was 19 and 20 in SaaS. So what was that experience like working with VCs, 19, 20 years old, building a tech company first time? What was that experience? I, I, I heard you say back in 1920, I'm, Jeff, I'm old. I'm not that old. I knew I grew a beard. 19, 20 on, years 19, old. Yeah, <laughs> 1920. Yeah, this was, I mean, I was living in the dorm room of, above the theater in downtown Blacksburg on College Avenue, living the life because I dropped out at this point and the company, I bootstrapped it to about a million dollars a month in revenue, about 90 grand a month, actually, so slightly above. And right around that point, a group, including David Cohen at Techstars, reached out asking if they could invest, which was a big deal because at least I thought it was. They they hadn't invested really in rural Southwest Virginia before. You know, day you know that whole crew is from Denver and Boulder area, and so of course I blushed. You know, I fell for the VC swoon. I said, "Yes, please like me. Please like me. Yes, giving me your money will make me feel good. Yes, I'll be on the magazine cover and the newspapers." And I thought that's what was what it was all about. And so when I got the term sheet, it was. 2 million uh, raised on an 8.5 pre-money valuation, which would mean 10.5 post-money valuation. And Jeff, about six weeks after we closed that round, we got a LOI from a group called Eye Contact, Ryan Allison and his group, to buy the company for 6.5 million all cash. Now, when your audience That's hears tough. that, yeah, you're, you're going, if, if, you know, if you guys know valuations in BC, you can't sell for six and a half million all cash if you just closed at a 10.5 million valuation. The board will block it, which right. just made no sense to me. At 21 years old, I still own 60% of the business. Post-tax, I would have had about 2.75 million in my bank. I said, why the heck do people raise VC? You lose all your optionality. And that was the start. That's absolutely true. I think people look at it from the outside, though, and they think that that's, that's validation. That's somebody buying into my idea. This is, that's the way you're supposed to do it. But that's really not the case, is it? I mean, how many are venture-funded or private equity-funded versus bootstrapped? Well, let me just tell you, you've had a lot of really great folks on your show, including Ted Elliott. You know, Ted bootstrapped his first company before yes. he sold it to Job HR, right? $25 million, and he sold it for only 3x, $75 million, but he made a lot of money. Now he's at Capado, and you guys should go back and listen to this episode. It's episode 41 here on SaaS Fuel. But now it's Capado, and he's raising like crazy, right? So it's way more to me about sort of what you want to do in life. But what I tell all first-time SaaS founders, create a little nest egg by bootstrapping, and then go for the home run, the billion-dollar swing. Go raise all the VC you can, but go sell a company for 10, 20, 30 million bucks first. And I think that's, that's really different. And you see a lot of founders that have done that, super successful founders. I mean, people know Mark Cuban for you know, broadcast.com, but that wasn't his first startup. He had an exit prior to that. 
And so I think that's really, really good advice. Uh, is that something that, that you've taken you know, in your subsequent companies? Yeah, I mean, look, you rarely hear about the first and second and third swing entrepreneurs take. I bet you most of your audience couldn't couldn't answer what Elon Musk's first company was here on the show uh, and get the name right. You don't, you never hear about the first swing, but there's always a first right. swing. There's actually a thousand swings if you're playing real baseball before you're hitting grand slams. All the practice. So, I guess point being is when I'm working with founders today, you know, it's you know I'm running a hundred fifty million dollar fund at FounderPath. 200 founders have taken non-dilutive capital from us. And the, what we're advising them is you need to get to a point where you're profitable and you have to win with this, not this, right? right. The real winners know how to win with creativity because if you could win by just throwing money at it, anyone can throw money at it and win. You win uniquely using your own unfair advantage, using your genius and your creativity. And that's where winning will come from. And by the way, creativity will be even more in demand in the future when everyone's relying on the same AI bots, right? Pumping out the same AI data. Whoever can be creative, which AI can't really do, right? Whoever can be really creative will win. I think that's absolutely right. And when you think about creativity, um, if you've read uh, Ed Catmull, Creativity Inc., and he talks about that in just creativity or constraints breed creativity. And that's what really pushes it. So just throwing money at problems. And we see this all the time with, with some of the, the bigger names uh, in the industry, you know, raising five, 10 times over. You know, how many, I don't know how many letters you have in the rounds that you raise, but uh, some of them are, are pretty deep into that. And, but it's just throwing more money at problems. It's not really mm -hmm. solving things in a, a new way or creative or, or having those constraints. So did you find that in your journey that constraints really pushed you to be creative in your problem solving? Yeah, it's just most people don't have the guts to set up constraints for themselves. And they certainly don't have the guts to tell those constraints to the team. What I mean by that is most people listening right now, you've never sat down at a team wide all hands and said, Hey, guys, I want you to help the company be profitable. That's our constraint. We're going to be profitable. And then someone's <laughs> going to say, well, what about growing fast? Don't we have to burn money to grow fast? And you're going to say, no, here are 15 founders that have been on SaaS field that are growing 100% year over year and they're profitable. Go listen to Karina right at Function Fox, who was on episode, what episode was it? 31, 32, 33, I think. Something like it's that, possible yeah. To do, yeah. It's possible to do both, but you've got to demand it from your team in terms of constraints to make it happen. That's absolutely right is uh, it's possible. And I think fundamentals matter. And that's something that's sort of been lost, particularly in the SaaS world is just, you know, burn, grow at all costs. But it doesn't work that way, especially in the economy that we're looking at. It's you know, a little bit of uncertainty coming up. I would say a lot of uncertainty. I mean, when you look at what Powell has yeah. done with the Fed and the fact that he's taken the base rate up, starting 50 bips back to back, then 75 bips back to back, and now 25 bips, but the strong jobs report a couple of weeks ago, we're recording this February 15th, that strong jobs report, I think you're going to see him continue to do a 25 bit increase for the next two or three quarters. And I think what, what the problem with that is, is, you know, the Fed is using historical data, it lags by about four months, he Powell hasn't had the chance to see how the historical rate hikes have impacted the economy, because it isn't right. being felt yet. And so I, I do believe we're actually heading into a massive recession in Q3, Q4 this year. And I think a lot of people are not prepared for it. But those of you that are, that are profitable, that have 250,000 bucks in revenue per employee, that don't have a board breathing down your neck about grow at all costs, right? That where you've paid out dividends historically to investors like Karina has done. She's paid out over $20 million in dividends over the past 20 years at Function Fox. Those are the founders that will be here the longest. They will sustain. And Jeff, many times in business, the winner is who lasts the longest. Absolutely right. 
And so what does that look like as, a, as far as a forecast for companies that are looking to raise or you're looking at alternative financing? What should they be thinking about right now? Well, obviously, the best time to raise money is when you don't need it. So anytime you're right. approaching me to negotiate at FounderPath or anybody else, you want to be in a position where you don't need capital. If you come and you need capital, we're going to charge you more money because it's risk-adjusted pricing, right? That's with anyone doing non-dilutive financing or even equity folks, right? If an equity investor knows you're about to be out of cash, they're going to ask for more dilute, more equity, which means more dilution for you. So that's how everyone should be planning right now. Assume that there is no next round. Assume that there is no external funding available and build a sustainable, I know this is shocking, but build a sustainable business. <laughs> right. It's what we talk about all the time about being future-proof. And yes. I think that's really, really good advice because fundamentals matter. Profitability makes a difference. And it just gives you options. You can say 100%. no to rounds. And I, I mean, that is, in my opinion, raise. that is a CEO's number one job. It's not, it, don't run out of cash and always create op- as many options as you can. So you have a backup to your backup to your backup plan. So we talked a little bit about non-dilutive capital. You mentioned that a couple of times. What is that for the listeners? Explain that. And how is it different than you know typical rounds or going out and raising funds? Well, historically, I mean, you got to remember Salesforce IPO back in, what was it, 2006? So SaaS is still relatively right. new in terms of the world, you know, world history, right? You got to remember, go back to Mike Milken days, junk bonds, late 1980s, early 1990s. I mean, this is a guy doing debt for publicly traded companies that were rated triple B right? That the bond markets wouldn't touch. So he was doing this. Now, the thing is, public traded companies are well understood back then because it's all, all their data is public. You know, SaaS companies are not yet fully understood by retail investors. Some institutional investors, hedge funds really understand B2B SaaS companies. But let's look at even like SVB, which many, would, many of you guys probably bank with. You know, when they give debt to a software company, they're not really looking at your ARPU cap churn, net dollar retention, quick ratios, and your metrics. They're looking at who sponsored you, how strong right, is your equity right. investor, right? And how much cash did Andreessen just put in your bank account? That's what they're underwriting. So what we're trying to do, Jeff, is give credit to founders that have built unit economic sound companies, net dollar retention above 100%, right? ARPU increasing over time because it proves you can sell larger plans to larger customers, profitable or close to break even. You know, you're using your creativity to market yourself, you know, owned and operating dis- operated distribution channels versus throwing money at Google ads, which is a perfectly competitive marketplace and no arbitrage opportunity. These are the things you want to be building. And so what non-dilutive financing is today and what we're focused on at FounderPath is it's a way for founders to get capital without having to give up equity. And that sounds like a pretty good, pretty good opportunity. Uh, How did you well, come up with the idea? I was say it depends, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of different... I'll tell you maybe later if you're interested. Ask me what, peop, what founders should negotiate. If they want to negotiate hard with me and win, I'll tell them how they should negotiate with me based off other founders that have gotten great deals from us. But the way I got into this is because of the story I told you earlier about... Uh, call, what was that? About 11 minutes ago, where I said I was burned in terms of optionality when I raised my first VC dollars when I was 21. I couldn't sell the business, even though I wanted to. People don't realize this. They get all excited about the TechCrunch article that goes out when they raised a 2 million pre-seed round and they sell 20% of the company and they don't realize how much optionality they just lost. You know? Right. And the extra hours they have to spend every month on board meetings and what a liquidation preference is, right? And all this other stuff. And so the, the way I got into this is my podcast, it's called The Top Entrepreneurs. I interview a SaaS founder every day for 20 minutes. And Jeff, as you know, it's, you know, I'm, What's your revenue? What's your equity split? It's pretty tough. <laughs> right. 
that's because I want to know the data. I don't, I don't want anyone bullshitting on my show, right? Like, don't tell me you're the best in the world without telling me what your revenue is and how much equity you own, you know? But I got into this because founders who came on my show, when I stopped recording back in 2018, 2019, like when I stopped recording their episode, they'd say things like, you know, Nathan, we had a VC pull a term sheet from us. We need another, we're looking for another source of capital. Can you help us raise debt? Right. And I kept hearing this come up, debt, 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 non-dilutive, non-dilutive. And then I said, let me do my own $10,000 deal here. And so I did a bunch of $10,000 deals to companies. They all went really well. And I said, whoa, I need to build a tool to enable these founders I've given money to, to tell me if they're growing or not. So now they connect their Stripe to our APIs so we see customer growth. They connect their bank to our API so we can see how cash runway looks. They connect their QuickBooks so we can see their historical P&L. And now they don't have to spend any time reporting out every month. It's all automatic. And that's what FounderPath is That's today. really nice. Yeah, it's all automated. Yeah, automation is huge. Well, I think there's a huge opportunity in the market you know, for something like this. As it raised and funded companies in all sorts of different ways. And this was something that uh, actually looked at a few years ago and tried to, to build something similar and did it in a completely wrong way. Now that I've what seen, happened? I what see did what you learn? You know, I, I think I, I learned a handful of things. One is I was doing it with other capital. And so it was not, not doing it with capital that I had really control over. And so I was losing third party. It was, it was a lot more like uh, a leasing uh, a lease. Yeah. So if you think about like where did, you, where did you get lease. the money from? Did you raise on a prom note or did you have to go raise from new investors every time a new founder asked for money? No, it was new every time. Oh, wow. And okay. so we had some capital sources that were out there. But again, it was more like, uh, like you think about, you know, traditional equipment leasing, for example. And so it also involved the, the client had to sign up for it as well in order for them to get the, the cash advance. So it was, it was not near as clean is what you put together. And so it's one of the things I really appreciate about your process is very easy for founders. You know, it doesn't re- take a lot of reporting. It doesn't involve the, the client. So the, the client, they have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. And so they're not having to, to sign and say, okay, we're going to make payments over here. And so it's just, yeah, it's a much cleaner process. We try and make it that way. And I should say, I mean, we have 8,500 SaaS founders signed up today. Only 200 have taken capital. Everyone else uses our free reporting tools, our valuation tool. We have a whole thing. There's more valuation data points inside of foundercraft.com, more than PitchBook even. There's thousands of valuations from SaaS companies that have sold or raised or sold minority or majority stakes to growth equity firms. And so just getting in there, it's all free. You sign up at foundercraft.com, go look at all the data. That's value add right there, even if you don't need money. That's a great value add for sure. Yeah, 8,500 and only 200 have taken capital. What, what are the others waiting on? Well, not everyone needs capital, right? Or they, I guess what yeah. I would say is a lot of founders, when they come to me, what they say is, well, Nathan, you know, good for me. Like, we don't need money. We're prop, they, they sort of like almost brag about the fact they don't need money, which is what they're trained. Everyone's trained to do that, right? You're trained to never right. sort of show weakness. And you, no one would ever say, I want money, right? So they do the opposite. But what I hear when a founder says, Oh, you know, we're profitable. We don't need money. What I hear is you don't have any ideas on where you could invest to grow the business. That's what I hear, right? Because if you had ideas, you'd want money to execute those ideas and test them. And other people's money is better than your own money. So risk my money, not your own. That's my thinking. That's really interesting. It's a good perspective. So if somebody is looking for capital, what is it that they need to ask? What do they need to do in order to get great rates? 
Well, the, the, there's two terms that founders choose to negotiate when they sign up for Founder Path. Now, the way we do it is based off your net dollar retention, ARPU churn, customer concentration risk, and other factors, which we show you immediately under 30 seconds after you sign up based off your API connections, you'll get a Founder Path score. And if your score is above 900, we can give you a really great option where you can have 36 months to pay back. That's very different than most of an, I'm not going to name them, okay? But that's very different than most others in our space that make you pay back it in is. six months or 12 months or 24 months. Sometimes you get 24 months, but we give the best founders, you know, 24, 36, 48 month terms at discount rates as low as seven and a half, eight, nine percent And so what I would tell founders today is you want to optimize for the lowest monthly payments possible. So you save cash flow and you extend runway. Right. The way to get your payments really low is not to negotiate for the lowest interest rate or discount rate. It's to negotiate for the longest payback. Spread out your home mortgage over 30 years instead of having to pay it back in two. Now that makes a lot of sense. Do most people look at it that way or are they really hammering on the, the interest rate? Well, then a lot will make the mistake and they'll hammer on the discount rate until they realize the massive difference in a longer payback, right? If I give you a million bucks today and I told you I would charge you 1%, but you have to pay it back in a day, it's a really low interest rate, but you only have a day to use it. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? That's like a payday so, loan. That's right, right? It's like, and it's actually, you know, it's probably pretty expensive on an annualized basis, you know? Sure. Yeah, 1% for a day. Yeah, crazy yeah. interest rate. Yeah, exactly. So we always tell, oh, we that, try that and teach and think long-term. And term is really what matters because you're trying to extend your, your cash flow, extend that runway, yes. extend that the time you can use that capital to grow. Because you have to pay it back in six months. You've got to have that return super fast to grow or figure out a way to, to, to solve that problem again in six months. Yeah, you have to match your payback term with the, what you're going to use that money to invest in. So what I mean by that is a lot of you guys might want to hire engineers. When engineers take forever to pay back, they have to get onboarded, they have to set up their staging environment, they get on GitHub, they have to start contributing code. And then only once you release the code to the public, maybe people pay for it. So I mean, their payback, I mean, that might take two years for an engineer to start making money for the company. You need to sure. get a payback term on the money you use, you, the non-dilutive financing you raise to hire the $100,000 engineer. You want a two-year term on that. So you want to try and match those as best you can. So the, the dollars that are available, is that a percentage of cash flow, percentage of revenue? How does that work? Yeah. So for anyone that comes in and gets a founder path score above 900, we'll, we'll, we'll make available to you up to 40% of your ARR. So if you're a million in revenue, you could take 400K. If you have a perfect score of 1,000, we can go up to 60% of your ARR, right? So if you're doing 10 million in revenue, we could give you 6 million. That's the way to think about it. And thinking about different ways to deploy capital, I love the, you know, what you said about having ideas. So, I mean, there's so many things you could do. I mean, you could acquire. Uh, it's not just about hiring engineers or just building something, but there's so many things strategically that you could do to, to grow the business and to have access to that capital. It doesn't mean you don't have to take $6 million today, but it means that that is available. And so you can take what you need now and you take it over time. It's very different then raising around and now you have you know funds that are sitting there and you know, it may be a year before you deploy some of that. That's right. Yep, you can take it as you need it. It's always available. We're operating at a $150 million fund and there'll be much more news on that front here shortly. Very, very exciting news. But we think we'll put a billion dollars out over the next 12 to 24 months. There's a massive demand for this. And you know what a lot of bootstrap founders don't realize is we are the silent majority. Right. For every one founder that raises on TechCrunch, there's a thousand of us that are quietly building, 
in the middle of the country or across coffee shops that go on runs in the evening and put our kids to bed at night and wake up. And we don't even think about New York City and Silicon Valley. We're just doing our thing. And so we're, this is a multi-billion dollar sort of asset class we're creating here. It's an alternative way to build a SaaS company. I love that. And you know, getting people together, you know, it's one of the things that you've done really, really well in uh, some of the events. We've got SaaS Open that's coming up here uh, real shortly. So tell me about that. What is SaaS Open all about? Yeah, look, I would get really bored if I was like, you know, a, just a non-dilutive guy looking at spreadsheets all day. I mean, I thrive off other people's energy. You know, I was a Danny in Greece in my in, in my high school musical. So sometimes I love like that getting on stage and putting on a little show. Maybe don't have as big hair anymore, but um, <laughs> SAS. You know, we try and get thousands of founders together every year, and so SAS Open will be the largest gathering of B two B SAS founders in North America in the spring. It'll be March 16th in New York City at the old Condé Nast building. It's a beautiful building. And Jeff, one of the things that we do is when when folks sign up, they have to share their revenue. And every speaker has to share their revenue graph on stage. Right? So at, we require that. I mean, we eliminate... I mean, you would be shocked at some of the big names we eliminate from stage because they refuse to share their revenue. We just say, fine, we're not interested. You know, We move on. We've got a big wait list. So it's going to be a lot of fun, but you have to bring your community together. That's really, really good. And so where is that going to be? One more time? Going to be New, New York? York? New York City, Thursday, March 16th and Friday, March 17th. Stay the weekend if you want to have some fun, but it'll be a thousand B2B SaaS founders with combined revenue. I just did this math earlier this morning. I added up all the revenue. It's going to be about $2.5 billion of combined ARR in one room. That's fantastic. And we'll make sure and link that in the show notes. So if you're not signed up, you know, definitely do that. Be one of those thousand SaaS founders that is there because that is definitely the place to be. Appreciate that, Jeff. So what, uh, what is something that you wish you'd known you know, back in the early days uh, when you were you know, running your SaaS companies? The, the, the power of quitting, actually. You know, a lot, of us <laughs> that hate, a lot of us that hate losing will keep playing a board game we know we can't win just because we don't want to lose. When really your biggest opportunity cost is time playing the board game you know you can't win. So you've got to shut your company down if you think if it's if it's controlling if you're stuck in it and and give yourself the space to create something new. It's sort of like it's sort of like if this was my body and it's full of cranberry juice right now, right? Like there's no room to put anything else in. You've got to dump something out before you can make room right. to fill it up with something else. So you've got to dump. At what point do you know that that's that's the case? You know, when do you continue on and really press in hard, or when do you decide that you know it's time to cut cut bait and, and be done? Well, for me, it's can this thing make me really, really rich? And then I keep going. If it's not, then I quit. Uh, I have to be very excited. I'm a, I'm a money guy. Okay, I love it. I, it's the ultimate board game. It's a lot of fun. It's the ultimate measuring stick. If you create something valuable, people pay you for it. And so that's, that's how I measure myself. But for others, it might be something different. It might be an energy level. It might be how you feel every day. And I would just encourage everyone to listen to that. Listen to that motivation. And if you stop feeling that, you've got to move on. You've got to cut bait. You've got to quit. That's really, really good advice. What role have mentors played in your success? Mentors can be tricky. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people I meet uh, that'll say, oh man, I've been paying this business mentor for, you know, three years, you know, five grand a month. And I'm going, you sort of just conference hop. I see it every conference and you're still at like a hundred grand of ARR. You haven't done anything uh, for five years. What are you doing? So I think mentors are great, but you have to know and you have to define at the start when you're going to fire the mentor. Know what the mentor is going to teach you and then know when you're going to stop because you've learned everything. And if you just, you don't want to have a mentor just for the sake of having a mentor. You got to know what you want to learn, learn it, move on. 
That's really, really good advice. I think that's another one that it's easy to stay too long when, uh, when there's, the value is just not there. And so really having a, a purpose and, and accomplishing that, making progress you know, toward that goal. Yeah. So you what does success it. look like for you? Money, multi billions and billions and billions of dollars. You know, if, if we, if we create an alternative path for SaaS founders to build their businesses and we put out billions of dollars, you know, we will also do very, very well. Uh, this is something where I believe we can go compete with SVB directly. Do we build a new SVB? I don't know, but we have no small plans. We want to finally give a voice to the silent majority of bootstrap SaaS founders that get no press love. They get very little attention. We want to make them celebrities with money and press and power. And that's why we put Bridget from You Can Book Me on our stage. That's why we put great bootstrappers on our stages. Uh, we'll keep doing that and we'll all grow together. That's my plan. That's fantastic. Yeah, Bridget is, is great. We had her on the show a few episodes back. Oh, she's, yeah, she's and, wonderful. Yes, yes. And that's another one that, uh, you know, she has built a fantastic company and, and, and done it the, you know, a really smart way. And uh, some of the other big competitors out there, and, and you may know some other names that, that may be more familiar just because they have a little bit more press, but she's built a company that is you know, far more, I would say, successful than, uh, than some of them. Because yeah, she I mean, makes money. Well, approaching four million in revenue. Uh, she's got a profit sharing plan. The whole team can participate in, so they're profitable. You know, she's not growing two hundred percent year over year, but she doesn't have to. You know, she's building a right. great life for herself, and she's growing like fifty or seventy percent year over year. It's beautiful for her. It's fantastic. I think that's one of the things that is uh, maybe a little bit enticing about you know raising is is having that press and just but but you can easily become you know, your business driving you instead of you driving the business. It's something you can be what I call successfully stuck. And uh, just kind of like when you and Heyo, you know, you have a great opportunity there, but you can't take it. Or you yep. want to do something different, but you can't because you, you have those, those constraints. And it's a, a tough place to be. So what do you think the future of SaaS looks like? It is relatively young, like you said. You know, where do you see it going in the next 5, 10, 20 years? Usage-based billing. I mean, this is why Snowflake is so successful, right? They bill based off, you know, amount of data used. It's not a flat fee per month. You know, a lot of these SaaS companies, which I call are SaaS Plus, they have SaaS Plus, they charge a percentage GMV or SaaS Plus professional services, SaaS Plus hardware. There's an upfront hardware install. When you install the hardware, you're never going to cancel the software. So the net dollar retention on SaaS Plus IoT companies is through the freaking roof. So it's going to be this trend of SaaS Plus with a heavy, heavy emphasis on, um, you know, transaction or usage-based billing. I think that's really smart. What should founders be thinking about? How do they get that plus? Is it professional services? Is it, you know, what is it that's going to make them sticky? Ask your, send a mail merge email to all your current customers and ask them three other tools they pay for. Read the responses. If you read the same other tool, Many times you should go build that tool or vertically integrate it, horizontally in integrate it into your product offering. That is absolute gold. That's what I would do. Yeah, I love that. It's a really, really good idea. Because you already have the, the customer. So it's, exactly. it's really, really easy to... Yeah. That's a great way to do that. Well, what should people be thinking about? You know, the economy, you're saying recession... You know, what from a financial standpoint, you know, building runway, but uh, you know, how should they manage differently now versus maybe the last year or two? 
if you think the recession is going to be really deep. Yeah, runway is important. And a recession also means opportunity. So if you build a bit of a, a cash war chest today, you'll be able to take advantage when everyone else is running, right? You'll be able to jump in when everyone else is jumping out per se. So just that's what I would be focused on. You know, Keep your expenses as low as possible. If you're flat or your revenue is not growing, well, one way to grow your profits if you're flat top line is to cut expenses, right? And get leaner and meaner and more creative, right? You want to win with creativity, not throwing humans at the problem, not throwing dollars at Facebook ads, not with money, right? You want to win with creativity. And so that's, that's the theme that I would tell everyone to take into Q2 and Q3 this year. That's really good advice. So what is something that, uh, that you think you know, about uh, SaaS or about business that other people would think maybe is a little bit out there or you know, a crazy idea? I think LTV to CAC is way overrated. I get a lot of folks coming on my show very proudly saying we have an LTV to CAC of five. The problem is it takes them a year and a half to get the money back. I care much more about payback period. So if you've invented a way to get your money back instantly, that's way more interesting to me, even if your LTV to CAC is crappy, like a one. Right, as long as you get your money back quick, that's more important because it's what's called money velocity. And whoever has the higher velocity of money will win. That's more important, in my opinion, in today's market than a high L2B to CAC ratio. So is that something that would be more like a like a self-liquidating funnel where they get somebody in, they sell them something, you know, lower end or something that that helps liquidate that initial acquisition cost and then try and go back with something bigger? Or how do you see that working? Well, it's in the backgrounds of both of our video right now, right? I don't know what you charge for small fish, big pond, but my book retails for 29 bucks and you sell that, then you upsell Heyo or upsell Founder Path, right? Why do you exactly. think we launched a magazine, right? Why does the magazine cost 29 bucks? Because that was about our acquisition cost. So we recover it by selling the magazine. You know, I've seen people like Russell Brunson at ClickFunnels put his podcast recording on a USB drive and sell the USB drive at the top of the funnel from ads on Facebook. Yeah. So yes, you nail, or what are we doing right now at SaaS Open? We're selling event tickets at the top of the funnel, right? You, so you want to put something at the top of the funnel that's not software that allows you to instantly recover your CAC so that the software sale is all icing on the cake. I think a lot of founders don't think about it that way of, you know, how can I recapture that quickly? Because they're really focused on, you know, getting in there and getting that SaaS sale. I hope, I hope, they continue to not think about it because that means the rest of us that are doing it, it can be our secret. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we, we just won't tell anybody about that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it a secret. So if you're listening, uh, you know, definitely. Well, I think that. I was, uh, secret's out. You've got a pretty big show here. So I think that we, yeah. we killed ourselves on that one. But it's hard to execute, right? I mean, you can tell everyone in the world, but you got to execute it. It's not easy. Sure. Well, what is something that you're not great at? Something oh, you're, you're really good at a lot of things. People, people. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, my show is so unemotional. It's funny. I mean, I could almost be a robot, like an AI robot, and just ask, what is your ARPU? What is your CAC? What is your term? <laughs> I mean, it's robotic. I mean, you know, I'm extroverted when I need to be, but if I could just be by myself thinking about data and reading, most days I'd be very happy, you know, playing Ticket to Ride on my phone when I want to wind down, right? That's what I would do studying Mike Milken when I'm bored, this is what I would do. So I would say I'm very bad at people. I know I'm bad at people. And that's why I surround myself with people that are very good at people, you know? That's not something I would have guessed. You know, we, we spend a little bit of time together. I think you're a great people person. Well, it's because I'm turning it on right now. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. It's, it, let's just say this. It's not one of my strengths. It's not something I actively sort of lean into. You think that happens a lot with entrepreneurs that you know they they function in roles maybe that they're, they're not 
you know, completely comfortable in just because they're required to? Maybe an introvert that has to do extroverted things? I think that's probably a fair statement. I mean, for me, what I'm actually saying when I say I'm bad at people is I'm sort of sending a signal to the world that I do not care what you think about me, right? That's what I'm saying when I say I don't care about people. And repeating it to myself and publicly like this on a podcast over and over is just a massive unlock because most people right now, if you knew your mom was angry at you, really angry, you wouldn't be able to function all day because you'd be worried about why your mom doesn't like you that day. Well, it's sort of the same in business, right? If you're always worried about why someone may or may not like you, you get nothing done. You know, what's interesting is you, you don't have to look past Newton and physics to understand the importance of having people not like you. If you're, it's equal and opposite forces, right? If you do something and there's nothing that pushes back on that thing you do, there's no equal and opposite force, there's no resistance, then it's probably not that big a deal. If you do something and then there's an equal and opposite reaction, i.e. natural law, physics, you're probably onto something. So if you're not getting any pushback or conflict or people hating you, you're probably not doing anything interesting. Most people would not think about it that way. I think that's a brilliant way to look at it. If you're not taking a stand, if nobody is, is pushing back, then you know, it's kind of in the, the mushy middle. Yeah, equal, equal and opposite forces, right? Equal and opposing for whatever it is, opposite and equal forces, something like that. But the, the question all of you should ask yourself is what do you not, like what do you stand against? And talk more about that, right? I am against VC, right? I am against raising equity at all costs. I am against growth at all costs. I am against boards, right? What are you against? And that will help everyone understand what you are for. Oh, that's good. So is there a place for a board or where do you see that role in a company? Yeah, look, I've been in a lot of board meetings that are boring as hell. Then nothing yes. gets done. The <laughs> board members come in, they don't even read the prepared materials. The CEO put 20 hours in and sent three days before the meeting. They don't even read them. They ask stupid questions like, what does ARPU mean? I mean, just terrible. <laughs> it's an ego puff. It's, it's horrendous. Right. Uh, right. The best boards, the f- everyone's engaged. The founder is leading by saying, board member Y, I know you know person Z, who's a really good CFO. We're trying to hire a CFO. Here's a script email. Can you please send it to them right after the board meeting, right? Great founders give work to their boards and then talk strategy, like deep strategy with the boards. And I just think that's more, it's rarer and rarer today, which is why I'm not a huge proponent of them, but they can be good if used the right way. How do you build a board that is like that as a founder? Yeah, a board is, in my opinion, a board is for folks that you think can help the company, but you can't afford to hire full time. They're already rich. They have too much experience. You can't get enough of their attention. That's the perfect place for them. So how do you get them involved? How do you get them engaged in your company? Well, people's engagement usually follow where they're putting their attention. So the question is, how do you get their attention? Once you have their attention, they'll engage more. So you have to understand what they care about to get their attention. Right? You either go deep on what they care about or you do a pattern interrupt and you put something in front of them that's the opposite of what they care about right? or is against what they care about. And then, then, then you get their attention. So money and energy and everything else generally follows attention. Focus on getting that from people that you want in terms of helping your business. Yeah, certainly being able to stand out not only to attract board members. And how do you stand out today in, uh, in the world to attract clients? You know, what are strategies that you've seen that have worked or founders that you work with? I can't think of a good answer for that one right now, Jeff. Okay, fair enough. So what does the future look like for you and for FounderPath? 
you said, you know, growing big, I mean, potential, it is, and we got some announcements coming, you, know, you kind of alluded to maybe, you know, taking over the banking world. Well, let's just say this, you can't, you can't deploy billions of dollars if you don't have billions of dollars available. We'll leave it at that. I love that. What I would say in terms of, you know, where we are going is, I told you, you know, there's 8,000, over 8,500 SaaS founders signed up. The majority of them never use this for capital. They use all of our other tools. So we're going to keep focused on building great tools for founders and not the typical stuff, right? Not a new reporting dashboard. You know, Bear Metrics already does that, right? Not a new billing system. Paddle already does that, right? Not a new customer management tool. There's plenty of HubSpot and Salesforce do great jobs out there. There is room to invent new products for SaaS founders uh, relative to their financial well-being. And that's what we're focused on. And an example of that would be many of you listening right now with a million or two million in revenue have your full net worth stuck in your SaaS company. Why isn't there a market where you can sell secondary shares even if you're only at one or two million in revenue? That way you can sell 10% of your company, right? Get a million bucks and go build the house that you want or go have the kids finally start a family or go on that vacation you wanted. You shouldn't have to sell your whole company in order to get your net worth sort of out of it and diversified. So what does a product like that look like? We're thinking a lot about these kinds of things. No, that, that would be something, I mean, it's a beautiful offering. Because that, that's a really tough thing is, you know, somebody wants to, to liquidate something, but they don't want to cash out. They don't want to be done. They're, they think that there's runway left. But it, you know, for a lot of entrepreneurs, it's all at risk. Mm -hmm. Everything they have is in the company. Yeah, most of you guys love your customers. If someone offered to buy your whole company, you'd sell it. And a year later, you'd be doing the exact same thing again. So that begs the question, <laughs> why not right. just don't sell the whole thing? Sell a little bit. The problem is right now, there aren't any firms that would buy 20%, right? And let you take it personally as the founder off the table and put it in your personal bank, right? And then keep growing the business. But we think you could deploy billions and billions of dollars doing that across thousands and thousands of SaaS founders. I think that's really interesting. And then what is the the play after that? They take a little bit off the table, continue to grow, and then look for an exit down the road or private equity or, or, or do it again. Just a cash cow. Right. Yeah, grow your valuation and sell 10% again and then take 20 million off the table for 10% and then take 200 million off the table for another 10% in five years from there. That way you're able to build your same business over a much longer period of time and personally build your net worth and diversify. Uh, that's the key. I think, look, I think owning a, a profitable $10 million SaaS company that, that profits 2 million bucks a year is the new American dream. It's, you know, it's a new worldwide dream, right? It's not the white picket fence in the big house anymore. It's sure. owning a profitable company and running it and having full control. And you can't, that world will never exist if there's not liquidity for options for early stage founders. And so, you know, we have an opportunity to potentially provide that. That's really, really interesting. Where can people learn more about you and about FounderPath and SaaS Open? Yeah, guys, if you want to see how much money you could get from FounderPath on what terms and how long you have to pay it back, you can sign up in under 30 seconds at founderpath.com. And if you want to meet Rajesh from Netcore, $100 million bootstrapped and profitable, he'll be joining us in New York City March 16th at SaaS Open, along with the founder of Pendo, $170 million in revenue. And also Liam, the founder of Time Doctor, bootstrapped, $25 million revenue. Over a thousand founders will be joining us. We'd love to see you all there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Outstanding. And we'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes. Thanks Nathan, for having me, I really me, enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks again to Nathan for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources at FounderPath. There is a lot to love there. You can learn more about Nathan at founderpath.com. 
and come meet him and me and a number of our other recent guests like Ben Murray, Drew Diagostino. All of us will be at SAS Open in two weeks. Get full details at sasopen.com. And you don't have to remember all this stuff. All the links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. All you have to remember is sasfuel. There you go. Well, please subscribe and follow us while you're there at sasfuel.com. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a Protect Your Monkeys t-shirt. Sound good? Okay, how about $150 million in non-dilutive funding or some part of that when you go and you sign up and qualify at founderpath.com? That's even better than a monkey's t-shirt, right? Well, they actually have designated $150 million for our clients and listeners. And I'm telling you, it is easy peasy. Even if you don't need it now, the analytics and metrics that Nathan mentioned are amazing and free. So the link is right there on our site. Go to sasfuel.com. We link right there to it. And there's some special perks for that link as well. So hit that up. Go to sasfuel.com. Click over to Founder Path and sign up and get some of that funding or at least some metrics and analytics. Well, join us next time on our SaaSfuel Expert Series for Sarah Noel Block. Sarah is an inbound marketing expert and host of the Tiny Marketing Show. Like many small businesses, she was a marketing department of one, which is why it's tiny marketing now. But never tiny in impact, I'll tell you that. She shares her best ideas to turn a small marketing department, even a marketing department of one, into a virtual army and a giant magnet bringing inbound leads. It is an amazing episode. And our founder next week is Steve Benson, CEO and founder of Badger Maps. It is the number one app in the app store for outside salespeople with mapping, routing, and scheduling. Very cool stuff. Well, I will see you next time. As always, protect your monkeys and enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.